So if your company, there's no promotion or they don't want to be promoted or it's a very toxic environment, you don't want to get a promotion there or they're just not going to allow you to. Go seek elsewhere. There's a- yo, 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 show you tuned in to the Find Your Hustle podcast where other top hustlers teach you how they hustle their way to the top through free game. Taking these legal chances so we could do these side of baby money dancing show. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Find Your Hustle podcast with myself, Simda here, and unfortunately not Mark McCourty today. Um, can't be with us today, unfortunately. He has had a personal emergency. He is currently indisposed. But we do have a lovely guest with us today, Claudia Miller. How are you, Claudia? I'm doing great, Sim. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. I've never done one of these before. And I'll tell you what's funny, by myself, I, should I say, I've, I've done a podcast before. But the last episode that we did was the first time that Mark did, was, Mark um, had to do an episode by himself. So we've done back-to-back episodes by ourselves because <laughs> each of us have had a personal emergency both times, which is quite interesting. But um, people, Claudia Miller is a lovely guest. And I think I think she can teach us quite a lot in how we manage our own careers because Claudia is a corporate trainer. Um, she's a career coach and she's she'll t- I'm sure she'll tell us all about it but Claudia how did you get into it what what got you into that industry first of all well I you know officially started this journey and you know trying to get a lot of this information for personal reasons I am your t- you know type a personality I got good grades I had a full ride scholarship from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation so they paid for my bachelor's and master's wow. I did internships I volunteered I mean I did everything and once I graduated with my bachelor's, I felt like I was just going to get like a flood of job interviews and so many job offers, and I would get to choose which one I wanted. And unfortunately, mm. that's not what happened. <laughs> I had one interview, and thankfully, they offered me a job, but I didn't even want the job or liked it, but it was the only offer I had at that moment. Yeah. So I knew I clearly, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know because I did everything everyone told me to. And I still didn't get, you know, amazing job offers. And I wasn't, you know, getting approached by recruiters um, like some of my peers were. So I really wanted to figure out how is it that you get those lucky breaks? How can I get noticed and promoted? How can I get those big salary increases? So I really heavily invested in myself. So I hired career coaches, resume writers. I did workshops, books. I networked with people. For It took me around four to five years to really crack the code. And of course, thousands of dollars at this point. But finally, I was able to get you know a $30,000 salary increase and break into a new industry. And I wasn't even technically qualified. Now, I was successful in the role because I already knew exactly what to do once I you know, get a new job. So eventually, I started doing this over and over. And I was able to do this repeatedly multiple times in my professional career. And I started to realize that other people didn't know how to do this, just like I didn't know a few years ago. Mm. So I started working with people. And honestly, like, now the process has been refined and improved that my clients now get $100,000 salary increases. They can get jobs within 90 days or less. They can transition to any industry and outbeat the competition with ease. And this is all during COVID. I don't, I don't even talk about anything pre-COVID at this point. But mm-hmm. that's really how it started because I wanted to do that for myself. And now I help others do the same. Mm-hmm. I want to I sort of give this a little bit of context because a lot of our listeners are going to be UK based and I'm sure somebody's going to be listening and thinking, well, you know what, $100,000 salaries, that only really happens in America or Canada or anywhere else except for the UK. Is that what the reality looks like? Can it be done in the no, UK no, as well? Not necessarily. So I've had clients too that are coming from the UK and they want to you know, say come into the US or they work for a US company. They can work remotely. So these are strategies that can be applied to wherever you are. And I've actually even had some clients from Australia as well. They get a job here within the US or they work for a US company that's stationed within Australia. So there are different strategies on how to do this. But at the end of the day, it's like I said, it's all about positioning the brand for the job. You can, I've had clients, you know, that were making $90,000 a year and they were being grossly underpaid, especially as a woman um, and a woman of color. 
there's at least mm-hmm. a 30%, and usually on average is 50% less we're getting paid. So by finding the right, how much you should be asking for, what are top skills to really pull the levers and leverage it, because we know those are the skills they're hiring for, we automatically increase our brand and our value to the company itself. So like mm-hmm. I said, I had a client that was making 90000 and she was able to land the job making 170 plus a 20K sign-on bonus plus stock and options. So maybe, and I'm not saying every client got a $100,000 salary increase. On average, it's around thirty to 50000 But these are strategies you can still apply. Even if you can make 10, 15K more, why not use already the strategies if you're already going through the process of either job searching or getting that promotion? Yeah. So is it sort of industry specific then? Are, should people be targeting certain industries in order to make salary gains like this? Or is it, I mean, it probably isn't across any fields, but is it industry specific? Are there certain industries that it's best for? Yes and no. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, well, if you're working at a non-for-profit, I mean, getting a $100,000 salary increase would be really hard, yeah. especially if it's a smaller non-for-profit. And, but all of these strategies can be used to really increase your salary and mm-hmm. to position yourself, whether it's for that upcoming promotion or for that manager role or breaking into that new management director role, even without any experience. So mm-hmm. a lot of these strategies can be um, utilized across all industries. It's just a little bit of how you approach it might be different. So for example, if you're applying or working at a not-for-profit, they don't really have the funds to increase your salary by that much, but you can always negotiate benefits. Maybe you can negotiate more, um, you know, holidays, or you can negotiate more professional stipends. So maybe you want to get that certification that costs a lot. Maybe mm-hmm. you want to go back to school and have them pay for your education. There's many different ways you can negotiate that can still increase, you know, like your bottom line. So those are funds that now the company's paying for it that doesn't have to come out of your pocket anymore. So mm-hmm. there's different methods. Now, I would say the highest one that I've seen is um, within technology. Um, if you're in sales or marketing, that has been the fastest growth where you can make a lot of that because it is a lot of revenue and business generated through there. So there are more opportunities to earn more. But these are strategies I've had um, scientists, engineers, um, different types of like within um, director of customer success, um, customer service, uh, supervisors, they've all been able to leverage these strategies as well. I see. Okay, so then let's sort of start this from from, from the top then. Um, Presuming somebody who's come out of university, uh, just finished formal education, maybe it's even a master's, um, and they're out into the new for the first time and they're looking for their first uh, first employment position. Uh, Let's just say marketing because that's that's something that sounds like it's, um, it's easily scalable up as well. What is the general applicant missing? I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? What is what the general is, applicant? Yeah, what is the general applicant missing? What are they what are they doing? What are they not doing well enough when they're trying to get these new positions? They're not getting to the point. So I see a lot of clients in those situations where they'll say, I, I've applied to, you know, hundreds of jobs and I'm still not getting interviews. Well, mm-hmm. one is I ask them, okay, give me a good estimate of how many jobs you applied to. Oh, I applied to 20 jobs. Okay, well, that's very different than you said hundreds, but now it's 20. Okay, 20 mm-hmm. jobs. And I look at their resume and it's very generic. And I actually just saw a, uh, a resume yesterday where she's a recent graduate, has the degree, can't get any interviews. And they're telling her to go to an entry level job, but those jobs require two to three years of experience. <laughs> so, what I immediately saw in her resume is doesn't get to the point. It's very generic. She talks about jobs that are nothing related to the role itself. So for example, she used to work at Bath and Body Works as a sales associate. So meaning like she does a lot of the merchandising and sells on the floor for like candles and, you know, maybe some sprays. And I'm like, you're applying for a help desk technician role. Why are you mentioning this role? Like I'm not connecting the dots here. So I know that there's not a lot of experience, especially if you're a recent graduate. Talk about some of the projects you've had to do. Talk about the classes that you've done. Maybe some certification classes that you've taken through LinkedIn Learning or Coursera or some free other sources. Talk about that instead of these jobs that do not even make sense on why you're applying for this role. 
And what I would recommend is to use and leverage a skills-based resume. And how that's different is a typical resume will have an objective or summary, experience, education, and skills. A skills-based resume is a little bit different. It'll still say the three top skills we know that the employer is looking for, and then we add um, kind of like experience that we've had. So for example, you said marketing experience. I just graduated with my marketing degree. I would say campaign management. Um, I did a coursework on campaign management for B2B companies where I had to create, um, I leveraged, I don't know, Sephora as a company and how I would create their campaign and identify the customer segmentation. Um, and I created an email sequence and I did a promotion for um, Christmas. And then here's what that looked like. And here's some of like the campaign sequences that I created for that. Now, this person may not have actually done this job at itself, but that was a project they had to do. So you want to showcase that you can do the job when it's that, you know, when it comes to it and that you are well-informed and already understanding of what they're even asking about. So you just want to show them that you can do the job if you were asked to do it because every single company has a different processes. Even Mm -hmm. if you had experience, they're going to say, Sam, you know, how we do it here, you know, in our marketing department. So here's like the protocols, here's the branding guidelines, here's the systems that we utilize, here's already our content calendar, here's who's going to approve it, here are some of like the graphics we're going to use. So it's not like you're starting from scratch. There's Mm -hmm. already processes put in place. So even if you don't have that experience, you still get taught and then you're embedded into the company's process. I got you. So by the sounds of it, people are coming out of um, formal education and just wasting a lot of time just because their resumes aren't optimized and probably not even leaning on the work that they've done whilst they were in formal education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't they don't even get the interviews because again, it doesn't connect the dots. I have no idea yeah. why you're applying to it when you there's nothing related to the job posting in yeah. this resume. So yeah. that's why they don't get a lot of interviews. Okay. So then going on to the next step then, once they're at the interview stage, are people could people be doing better there as well or should they just sort of google what the, what what the kind what kind of questions they'll get and just tackle it as best as they can? I always say prepare for the expected and the unexpected. We know they're going to ask you the common interview questions. That's why they're called common interview questions. So it's usually tell me about yourself. What is your greatest strength? What is your greatest weakness? Why do you want to work here? Why are you leaving your current company? You know, those are common interview questions that we know we're going to get asked in one way or another. So if we already know these questions are going to be asked, let's prepare for it. And what most job seekers tend to do is they'll get a job interview. Maybe, you know, they have three to four days to prepare for it. They'll go to the company website. Maybe they'll review their job posting. Maybe they'll look at the person's LinkedIn profile. And that's really it. Instead, I have my clients say, well, we know these top five interview questions are going to be asked. Let's workshop them. Let's make sure that we have the branding in place. So instead of them, you know, when they ask you, tell me about yourself, you're not going to walk them through your resume because that's why they have their resume for They could have read it on their own. What they're really trying to find out is, you know, are you the best candidate out of everyone we're interviewing? Are you easy to work with? And would you be teachable or coachable? Like at the end of the day, those are the three things you're really looking for. So we want to make sure that we brand ourselves for the job. So for example, instead of saying, you know, tell me about yourself. Well, I graduated with my bachelor's in marketing and that's what I did. And I did an internship. (laughs) And after that internship, um, I I took this job and I worked here. And then, you know, now I'm, I'm looking for, I'm excited to apply for this marketing associate role. Instead, it could be, you know, I'm a marketing professional and I majored in my bachelor's degree in marketing, specifically for B2B companies and doing campaign sequences that can generate pipeline. And my top three strengths would be um, in understanding the customer journey, copywriting, and specifically customer segmentation between the ages of 18 to 25, especially within health and wellness industry. And during my projects, I've been able to do this. And I've had internships for companies that have generated over $20 million in annual revenue. Mm-hmm. You see how that's different? I'm positioning myself. I Completely you know, different. Yeah. Exactly. What I what so what I tend to tell people whenever they ask me about interviewing is they've already picked out the people who they think are qualified for the role. The mm-hmm. the formal things are already out the window. 
It's now who do they like more? Yes. And what you've just said, which is um, how teachable are they? And I, I, I've never actually paid attention to that. I've always, I've always sort of told people about it's they're, they're deciding who they want to work with at the end of the day, because everybody's got the degree now. Everybody's got the <laughs> the prerequisite qualification that they wanted. And I think being teachable is also quite an important aspect, especially when you're applying for an entry role, because essentially you're saying, hey, look, take a gamble on me, as opposed to somebody who already has um, previous work experience. And then if you're not emphasizing the fact that you're willing and capable of learning, then you're wasting their time as well, aren't you? Yeah. And this is an interesting phenomenon that I've seen because when I work with older clients that have 20 plus years of experience, their biggest thing is, I don't know if I can get a job because there's so much, I, I'm, I'm older, I'm in the industry, there's ageism, and they're just rather hire new talent and teach them than pay me more money. But when I work with younger clients, they'll say, well, I can never get a job or get paid that much or you know, eventually get the job offer because I don't have that many years of experience. So they'd rather go with someone with more experience. So both sides can argue why the other person can have a better advantage. But at the end of the day, they both do. It's just how you leverage it. Kind of to your point, you don't have, um, I've had times when, you know, you can say, you know, I'm excited for this market associate role, especially with this new customer segmentation. I understand you typically target um, audiences of 35 to 55 years old, but with this new product you're releasing, you're looking to target more customers that are between the ages of 18 to 25. And I know I can be an asset because that is my demographic. I understand, you know, the culture and I understand like what's trending within my generation where it would be hard for someone older being able to target that, even though they have experience. Mm-hmm. So there's always ways to make a find your market differentiator and then leverage your expertise as an asset or lack of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I guess the final step is once you do have an offer actually coming to a number and an agreement with the company that you're proposing to apply for and I've also read about the what you said earlier, where um, women of color in particular get most underpaid because they go in with the lower number a lot of the times. How how do you recommend to your clients or how do you suggest that they maximize what they get coming in from the door? I recommend to do their research. And another thing is never base your next salary based on how much you're currently making. So a good analogy I like to use when it comes to salary negotiation, what most people tend to do is, you know, oh, I make $50,000. So for my next job, I, you know, I'm okay with 55 or 56,000. Mm-hmm. Instead, I don't care what I'm currently making. I'm just going to charge whatever the market is paying. So the analogy I like to use is like about a house. If you bought a house in for $100,000, and let's just say now you want to sell it, and I'm willing to buy your house for 300000 Are you really going to tell me, no, Claudia, I'm, I'm not going to sell it for 300000 I only paid a hundred. I'll sell it to you for one twenty. Are you really going to say that? Hell no. no. <laughs> You're going to say, yes, 300000 You're lucky. You got a bargain deal here. Yeah. So the same thing with your salary. Stop basing your next salary based on how much you're making. So that is the biggest problem that happens, especially for women of color. We're already starting less than our counterparts than our white male counterparts. So we need to make up that difference. And how I tell my clients to find how much should they be asking for is networking. You network with people that used to be in the role and are two, three levels above. So for example, if I'm applying for a market associate role or marketing coordinator, I'm going to reach out to a to a director of marketing and ask them, you know, when you were, you know, a marketing coordinator, what is an appropriate 10,000 salary range that I could be asking for within this industry? So they can say, oh yeah, back in the day, you know, when I was a marketing coordinator, they paid me anywhere between 45 to 55. Or they might say, you know what, I haven't been a marketing coordinator in such a long time, but what I can tell you is how much I pay my employees. So on average, they, we pay them anywhere between 45 to 55 and maybe a 10% bonus based on performance. Then you want to ask, well, what makes you offer a higher end of the salary when it comes to a candidate? What about them, you know, help um, have you offer them the higher end? And they might say, well, we usually tend to offer them more if they have these specific skill sets. 
And now you know what to highlight during the interview and what number to ask. They just gave you the answers to the test. So now when you come into the interviewing, you can say my biggest, my top three, you know, biggest skill strengths are A, B, and C. And that's why I know I'd be successful and be able to thrive within the company because I understand this portion. So you want to highlight what we already know is going to get us on the higher end of that salary range. And if they Mm -hmm. ask us, you know, what number or what salary you're looking for, say that number. I'm looking for a salary of 55,000. Go towards the top end of that budget because, again, we've already done our research. And it doesn't matter that you were making $30,000 before. That, that has nothing to do with it. We know that the market is willing to pay up to 55000 for this job with these specific skill sets. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to quickly, I want to quickly take a diversion here just because I know what, the, I know what our listeners say. I, I, I can already preempt what they're going to say to me. Um, and they'll tell me, well, Sim, I would love to do that, but where do I find somebody to ask? Easy. I mean, we can find anyone. We can go on LinkedIn and find people, or let's just say that, um, sometimes they have universities have directories of like past alumni, you can do that. But honestly, on LinkedIn, you can find anyone that's, you know, already in there. You can look at, you know, what um, university you already both attended. So maybe you can find an alumni or Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, even people that you've had on your podcast saying, oh, I know that I saw you um, on Sim and Mark's podcast and I heard you're talking about this. I actually saw that we both graduated from the same university. I would love to get on a call with you. I noticed that you've been able to make transition from marketing all the way to healthcare. And I'm looking to do the same, you know, would you have 15, 20 minutes available? And if mm-hmm. you know, you're too busy, I understand I can send over my questions over to you. Yeah. But it's easy to find people nowadays. In, I mean, if you want to Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, although Facebook, I would say it's a little bit harder to connect with because people are usually not open to connecting with strangers, but LinkedIn is very common. Yeah. I mean, we we try to talk about networking on virtually every episode that we have on here. And what I think the issue is and the reason why people almost refuse to network is just because they're a little bit too scared to approach people. And they just feel, okay, well, they're not in my social circle. If I try to message them asking for anything, I'll just get fobbed off and get told to do one. (laughs) Is that the reality of the situation? I've never had anyone tell me like, stop contacting me, you creeper, weirdo, (laughs) you know, F off or whatever. Uh, Most of the people tend to want to help. One thing is if you don't, you didn't approach it the right way or they're busy, they might just ignore you. Mm -hmm. But for example, every time I finish a book, I reach out to the author. They may or may not respond, but at least 30% of the time, the author will respond saying, I'm so glad you found that book helpful. Thanks again for contacting me. And then I start a conversation. But what people tend to do is they'll just send friend, uh, connection requests on LinkedIn with no context. Or they'll just say, "I, you know, Sam, I just want to add you to my network. Looking forward to connecting. And you're like, mm-hmm. who the hell is this person? Why do you want to connect? Like, I don't know. I just, I don't want a bunch of people spamming me or accept you. And all of a sudden, you're going to say like, you know, we're being trying to contact you for a car's warranty extension or whatever that is, because yeah. that's what people tend to do. But if you approach it the right way, which is a little bit more personalized, like I said, look up on LinkedIn and type in the university you attended or you're gra- or you're attending or you just graduated from, or you know, put that in there, and then look up. You can divide it by industries. Let's just say you really want to go in, you like gaming, you want to go into PlayStation, you can type in by industry or by company, and then you can see all the people that went to your college and are in that industry. Then you can say, you know, greetings from a, I don't know, whatever, like um, Team Gryffindor alumni. Let's just say we went to Hogwarts. (laughs) And then you can, all of a sudden, they're going to say, oh, that's a fellow alumni. Most people want to help. But you got to make sure that you approach it the right way. If I just put looking to pick your brain, I'm not even going to open that email because I don't know what you're trying to pick my brain about. I don't even know if I can help you. Is this going to take two, three days? I don't have time for that. Yeah. But the fact that you te- um, the subject line is from a fellow alumni, I'm interested because I know that I am connected to that. So I'll open it. And if you say, by the way, Claudia, I looked at your LinkedIn profile. I noticed um, and I was impressed that you were able to switch from finance to education to healthcare um, throughout your career. And you actually graduated with economics um, background. 
um, that's something I'm looking to do. And I would really like, you know, to get on a call with you just so I can learn more about your expertise and insights into the industry. I'm looking to make a pivot towards healthcare, specifically within the insurance company. Do you have 15, 20 minutes to connect? And if you're too busy, I totally understand. I'd be happy to send you some questions. I look forward to, you know, connecting with you and learning more about you. That is very different than, can I pick your brain, Sim? <laughs> and you're like, about oh, what? Uh, so, and you know what? What what you provided there is basically a template for exactly. how you can connect with anybody from any industry, especially if you're trying to get into something niche where you don't know where salaries are like, where you don't know what the workload is like, where you where you just want to know from somebody who's done it, and it's it's a free way to do it. It's an easy way to do it, and if you're not doing it, I think you're you're almost handicapping yourself against the other people who are competing for the same position in the industry. Yeah, and what I just recited is exactly the exact template I share with my clients. I already know it by memory. So yeah. on average, for every 10 people you reach out to, about three or four will respond back with yes, or they'll connect with you, and then you have to follow up. But yeah. you know, just to give a little bit of perspective, I didn't have a network. Like I said, you know, I'm actually the first one in my family to graduate from high school. So I'm the first one that went to college. I have a master's degree. I'm the first one to work in corporate America. I literally had no network. My mom, you know, was at the time a beautician and now nanny. So I had no network whatsoever. I mean, I could have a network of other nannies, but it's not like I can connect it with somebody at Peloton or Amazon or Google. I had to pave my own network. So because I didn't have a network, I learned how to build one. And honestly, everyone is always happy to help. That's why you and Mark created this podcast. Why? To help people. Innately, we all want to help. Now, we only want to help people that want to be helped and are willing to do the work. I'm not here to help everyone because if I'm going to give you advice and you're going to say, oh, great, and not do anything about it, well, (laughs) I just wasted my time. So like I said, building a network now, I can build my, that's why I was able to pivot from education, finance, healthcare, hospital setting, healthcare in a private setting, make over $30,000 salary increases. It was all through network. So there is a lot of value in that network. And like I said, uh, because I knew how to network, I knew how to get results quickly in any job, even though I wasn't technically qualified. If you look at the job posting and really looked into my skill set, I probably qualify 20% of that job posting. But within months, I got results and I got visibility and I was handpicked by the CEO to lead a special task force and projects. Why? Because I connected with people who were in that role that I was applying for. Asked them what were their quick wins? You know, what are their biggest challenges? What are some of the projects they've done that have been successful? And then I just applied it to my job, got the same results in a short amount of time. And that's how I was able to move quickly. But again, I wouldn't have known that without a network. And anyone can build a network. I started from scratch. So anyone out there can really start from scratch as well. Yeah. I mean, again, what you're what you're proposing isn't reinventing the wheel. It's using information that's already available in order to get the same results that other people have already had. And it's I feel like a lot of the times when people get into new roles, they just think, okay, well, what can I do that's fascinating, that's absolutely going to propel me? And they spend so much time trying to work it out and struggle in the end. Um I, th- I am going to quickly segue because the lo- the listeners need to know that there are currently four and a half thousand live jobs on the page. So once you're finished listening to this wonderful episode, if you are looking to either pivot career, find a new job, or if you're like our lovely example girl who we're talking about who wants to get into marketing, make sure you check out the site, make sure you subscribe to the mailing list, and make sure that you're following the podcast on whichever platform that you're listening to today. So. Claudia, let's go. Let's carry on with our um, theoretical um, woman who finished her university. Let's say she landed the job and she's in year two now, and she got, let's say, um, a, she didn't get a pay increase, or maybe she got a five to ten percent increase after, at the end of year two. How should she approach it on the third year? Well, if you're an individual contributor. This is my philosophy and what I've seen. And a lot of top performers tend to do the same thing. And you probably heard it at this point too, um, just over on social media and everything. If you're an individual contributor, you should be in your role for two to three years. So the first six months should be really spent on getting to know the job, getting to know the people, getting to know the workflow and processes. 
then you spend your next year doing the work, understanding it and executing. Then the less, then the next six months, you want to focus on how can you improve this job better? Can you, you know, cut off a process? Can you create a template? My philosophy is you should always leave the job better than what you came in. Mm -hmm. So on average, that can take anywhere between two to three years. After that, you should be moving up to the next step in your career. So if you're a marketing coordinator, maybe you want to move up to a marketing associate. So that is the rule of thumb. Now, if you are in a manager role, it should be anywhere between three to five years and then looking to move into you know, probably director of marketing or senior marketing manager. So if you're in the marketing director of five years, so with that, if this person's already getting on her third year, then she should start thinking about, okay, what is my next role after this? If I'm a marketing coordinator, my next role seems to be marketing associate. I'm going to look up some job postings of what they're asking for in a marketing associate. And then I'm going to see what skills I have, what skills I don't have, and maybe some skills I can build while still being in this job. Maybe I want to volunteer for extra projects. Maybe I want to um, reach out to my marketing associate and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to expand my skill set. I would love to take off some workload off of you and help you in order to help me better build my skills. Would you be open to, you know, me helping you or, you know, shadowing you so I can understand a little bit better. And then I would also start uh, networking with other marketing associates in other companies in similar industries. So I can understand, you know, what is it that they're doing already? Um, Especially someone that just recently got hired. You can say, congratulations, Sam. I saw you just, you know, got your marketing associate role. Um, I'm actually looking to do the same in the next six to 12 months. Would you be open to um, getting on a call with me? I would love to hear more about how the interview process went, you know, mm-hmm. and you know how. What were some of the questions that came about from it? And then ask them, you know, how was that process? What did they ask for? Why do you think you know you got the job um, in comparison to the other candidates? Can I see your resume? And then look at and start filling in those gaps. And then you can, you have time to do it. The last thing you want to do is be at the end of year three. And then you realize that you don't have a lot of these skill sets. You don't have a network. You don't know what salary range you should be looking for. You don't know what the top three hardest skills are to hire for for this role. You want to do that beforehand. So when the time comes for you to move to that next role, you have all the information you need in order to go to the next job, whether it's internally or externally. Which would be better in the general sense of the sense of the word internally or externally, if you're trying to go for a um, promotion, essentially? It depends. Um, And I honestly hate that answer because when I'm on the other side, I'm like, what do you mean it depends? Well, it depends on the company. For example, I was in a company where they had a old school thinking where it was stay in your job until the person above you gets promoted and then you can get promoted. So when I, you know, I already had a lot of results in my job. My CEO already had me leading task force of you know, some of these people had 20 plus years of experience and I had like, what, two years of experience, but I was leading them to get results. And I asked for a promotion and they said, no, Claudia, once the person above you, you know, either gets promoted or leaves or moves, then you get promoted and just be patient. When I was your age, I was in my role for 10 years and then I got promoted. <laughs> and that's when I realized that I am not going to leave my career in someone else's hands. I'm going to promote myself. You don't want what to if, promote what me. If, that's what fine. if the person above you is just crap at their job, right? <laughs> and yeah. they're never going to get promoted. Exactly. So I went and looked elsewhere. So if your company, there's no promotion or they don't want to be promoted or it's a very toxic environment, you don't want to get a promotion there or they're just not going to allow you to. Go seek mm-hmm. elsewhere. There's a lot of companies, like you said, they can go to your job board and find another company that has their roles that are going to accelerate your careers, that are going to nurture you and ex- help you move on your career because it can make a difference. Had I stayed in that organization, I probably may not still have had a promotion. Mm. But instead, at this point, I've already made over 60 to 80K salary increases because I decided to keep moving forward in my career. Mm-hmm. So that is my kind of advice to you. If there's a lot of upward mobility, if there's a lot of career progression, there's a lot of support in your company, yeah, you can go ahead and stay internally. But if that's not the case or the opportunities aren't just not there yet, you have to seek elsewhere. And there's other companies for that. And to be honest, when you go to other companies, that's when you tend to make the biggest salary increases because they don't know how much you're making. Um, When you work internally, they do know how much you're making. So there could be a little bit of a uh, resistance. So 
I, I got a promotion. Um, I got offered a promotion at my job and they were only going to give me an 8% increase. I already had done the research and I knew that there was at least a 25% increase they needed to give me. So when they said, you know, because you're an intern employee, we only give 8% salary increases when it comes to a new job. I said, well, then I, you know, let, I'm sure we could both come to a number based on our conversations. I understand that the reason why you're looking for an internal candidate is because of A, B, and C, and you're looking to accomplish that in the next few months. And I already have a strategy and I already have the framework in order for us to be able to get to that goal successfully. But based on what my research in the market is, the salary that I'm looking for the role and the responsibility is X to X. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can both find a, you know, a way, find it. I'm, I'm sure we both can come to a, um, a number that we both agree on. They're like, well, I'm not sure. Let me see what I can do. But again, I made that value case on why they needed to stay internally and why I'm the perfect candidate that mm-hmm. eventually they're like, we were able to find it and we can match the salary you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, so th- the sort of blueprint that you're offering then is um, two to three years move um, vertically and be it internally or externally, make sure you're you're prepared for that move either six to 12 months before it happens. Yes. Yeah. And that's how you get a lot of that career acceleration. That's why, you know, you hear of those people like they're already making six figures in their twenties or they're the youngest, you know, in the executive suite, because it's all about career planning, knowing people. And you don't need to know the answers. You just need to know who to connect with or network that has the answers and mm-hmm. you just borrow, you know, their strategies and implement and execute. Mm-hmm. What about for people who are in a bit more, I guess, stationary industries where they're not particularly looking to get into a promotion for realistically 10, 15 years, um, for example, legal or something like that? How how should they be negotiating their pay increases? How should they be? Should they be looking to hop around every couple of years in the same way? What sort of advice would you give to people like that? I would say to definitely um, start tallying or assessing their value. So, for example, you said legal. If I was a lawyer, worked for, at a law firm, I would start identifying, well, how many cases have I had? How many have I won? Um, how many have I assisted? What different types of cases have I worked on? So, for example, I, I'm making this up, but it could be like, oh, I worked with 10 divorce um, divorce cases. On average, we got we were able to get I don't know, $100,000. So between those 10, that's about a million that I've, you know, worked on value for um, this law firm. I also worked with, um, I don't know. um, And like I said, I'm I'm not, my background is not legal, but you can start telling who your clients were, how big their clients were, how much did you win? How many of those won? Who did, why didn't you win? And how would you do that differently now based on like that experience? So when it comes to having that conversation, you're not saying, Hey, Sam, you know, I, I was actually looking for a, um, a salary of blank. And you're like, well, no, we can't do that. Instead, you can say, Hey, Sam, I just wanted to talk about, you know, my past performance in the past 12 months. And after reflecting, I've noticed and, you know, in the past 12 months, I've actually worked and generated and worked with some of the top clients here within the law firm. And it has generated over $3 million of additional um, winnings for our clients. And of that, I understand we get a percentage. And I've been able to work across various industries. So not only like B2C working with clients directly, but also with corporations. And I worked with financial, retail, um, commerce, and manufacturing during my time frame, And I've been able to win these following, you know, 15 out of 35 cases I've been able to win, but the ones that I didn't win, they were close to it, but here's how I would do differently. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, throughout these 12 months, um, I actually worked on and touched on at least $5 million worth of cases mm-hmm. based on what I, you know, um, found in the market, you know, for my salary, I'm looking for a salary of 130,000. So when you compare, you brought 5 million and worked on 5 million cases, and now you're asking for 130,000. Well, that's a better case to me than say yeah. like, oh, you're right. I I didn't realize that you're just asking for another 10, 15, 20K, but you're working on $5 million cases. Okay. I That's a <laughs> easier way than to say I'm very hardworking and I'm a team worker and I found out Susie makes more than I do. And that's not a strategy or I demand more money. That's not also not a strategy. Instead, you want to leave with a value-based case, show them your value, and then... Um, ask for what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. 
I got you. Okay, well, let's go back to our case study from earlier then. Let's fast forward, let's say, 10 years. She's she's she she didn't meet claudia unfortunately so she wasn't <laughs> told about the great the great way that you should be moving around careers let's say she only got one promotion in that 10 years um at year five and she's she spent another five years at her next role and she feels that her career is sort of stagnating a little bit because she looks up and and maybe she's at that same firm that you talked about where they tell her that you only get promotion when the person above you gets promoted um she's probably what 35 40 now what what sort of advice would you be offering to her at that point? Should she pivot away from that career? Should she employ new tactics? What sort of advice would you give her? So every person's in a different stage of their career um, in life. So what I would ask that person is, what are you looking for right now? Because there might be, she might be saying, you know what? I have so many, I have kids at home. I'm tired. I honestly, I, I like this job because it's so easy and I can do it and then still be able to take care of my family. And it gives me my flexibility. I don't need or want to get promoted. I understand that. And if that job fits that lifestyle you want, then stay there. But if they're saying, you know what, I stayed at my job for five years, but I'm ready. The kids are older. They went to school. I want to, you know, I want to work remote now. I want to earn more. I'm already in that 35 range. I want to make over six figures. And, you know, primarily I want to be able to be in a director level in the next three to five years because I know I'm already falling behind. Mm -hmm. Then now all of a sudden I have an overview. Okay. So it's all really understanding parameters. And my philosophy is you should find a job that fits your lifestyle and not the other way around. You know, there. if you're young, typically you want to work, you're okay working a lot, you're okay traveling a lot, you want to learn as much as possible and maybe not so much, um, you, you're focusing more on like that perspective. So I would say like, oh, if you're consulting, that's great for you because you travel a lot, you get exposed to a lot of different clients and industries um, and there's a lot of work hours that go in, but you're okay doing that, go ahead. But then you might also be in the range of, I have done the years of experience, so I'm here to maximize my earning potential. I need to make more. And you know I still don't necessarily want to work 80-hour weeks, but I do have the expertise. Well, then let's start, start finding jobs that are going to get you to that salary you're looking for. So it depends what stage in their career that person is in. What's most important? Is it earning more? Is it time and flexibility? Or is it learning? Either those three would tell me a lot of how the strategy will move forward. So now if that person's feeling behind, I will have them start career planning. Okay, so based on where you want to, let's think about where you want to be in the next 10 to 15 years and then figure out backwards. So what should be your next job? What industry should it be in? And what type of roles and skill sets do you need to apply? So that way we're already prepping you for the next job after that to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. I got you. I got you. Very thorough. Very thorough. I like that. Okay then. So, the, so one last one last sort of uh, case study. I wanna wanna run past you then. Mm-hmm. Um, let's run the clock all the way back to a young and budding seventeen year old who is about to start university. They're a little bit unsure about what the what sort of career they want to get into, um, and. They're trying to choose their univer- the, the university they do, that, that they go to and what they're going to study. Now, of course, they want to have a six-figure salary by the time they're 21 at the moment they come out of university. <laughs> but what sort, of, what sort of things should they be looking for and how should they be choosing their careers and their um, university degrees, essentially, if at that point they want to maximize their possible to possibility for their for financial growth in their twenties, well, what I would start with is um, I would recommend like a disc or strengths finder assessment. That's really going to help because it's going to give them insight into who they are. So what I've seen a lot is a lot of professionals. Like for example, I'm a very visual, strategic, futuristic person. So if you put me to code and do the analytical things, I hate it. Like I'm, it's like going against the grain. I can do it, but I'm going to feel tired, worn out, unmotivated. I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to do everything in my power to avoid that type of work just because that is not who I am innately. Just like if you're an introvert, if you're an introvert, 
you probably don't want to go into, you know, being a news anchor and then doing uh, press releases and going to events and public speaking. Like it's just, it, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate that job. You're going to hate your career overall. So if you're so new, young and don't really have that experience or internships, I would make an assessment to understand what are my strengths because I'm going to based off, I'm going to go off my strengths. Now, what industries, it could be what interests you the most. One of the things I've seen is they'll say, well, I want to make six figures at the age of 21. So they'll go into consulting or they'll go into law school or they'll go into engineering um, or become a doctor. And then they realize they hate it. They absolutely hate it. And I know so many people that, you know, have gone to school or gotten that law degree or gone, you know, went to medical school. And then they come to me saying, I absolutely hate it. I never want to do this. I'm okay taking a pay cut because I don't enjoy it. And I feel guilty and shame because I spent so much time and money on this education, but I absolutely hate it. And I rather honestly take a pay cut than do this for the rest of my life. So in order to avoid that, it would be taking the disc assessment or strengths finder to figure out what are your strengths and weaknesses. What do you enjoy? What do you typically gravitate towards? Are you a health and wellness person? Are you like beauty products? Um, do you really like building things? I mean, I don't know. Start finding that and then start getting internships or volunteering for free to say, hey, you know what? Um, reach out to them on LinkedIn or something and saying, I want to volunteer or I want to be able to help. So if you want, you're thinking of becoming a doctor, volunteer at a hospital and try to network, connect with other physicians there and see like, is this something you will like or not? Do you absolutely hate it? And then start exposing yourself to different types so that way you can better narrow down to say, I really enjoy this and because of this. And keep exploring and having those conversations because then, like I said, you don't have to spend five years or three to five years in each job position and figure out that you hate it. Instead, you can almost get like a taste of different industries, different types of roles, different types of jobs while putting the intersection of who you are innately to figure out what is the best, you know, next step for you. So for example, I want, I was studying architecture because I thought it was very prestigious. I thought I could make a lot of money. Every time I told someone, Oh, I'm starting architecture. They would say, Oh wow. An architect. Oh wow. That's amazing. I'm sure you're going to build and design beautiful homes and buildings, but I hated it. <laughs> I actually interned with Frank Lloyd Wright grandson. I used to win competitions. I used to have internships. And my one of my great mentors said, why do you want to be an architect? And I, I told him honestly, because I want to make a lot of money. And being an architect is very prestigious. And he said, if you're into architecture because you want the money, just become a truck driver. You'll make the same amount of money. <laughs> so, and you know, when I found out about the hours, he's like, by the way, we have to work 50, 60 hours. We're usually tied down to our desk or computer building out and drafting out um, different plans and blueprints. I was like, what? I, I'm an extrovert. I don't want to be stuck in my office sitting down and just building blueprints and not talking to anyone. That sounds like very miserable. I, that sounds like my worst nightmare. So I immediately changed majors from architecture into economics because I love talking about like money, strategy, trends, figuring out what, how the past impacts the future. I can, you know, predict it and all these are the things. So again, it's not, I, I, I wanted to do it because of the money and everything, but I figured out, I honestly wouldn't like it and I would hate it. And I ended up doing an internship and I said, nope, this is not for me. I'm switching majors. So if you're that 17 year old, expose yourself, talk to them, um, ask your friend's parents if they're if they're a doctor or whatever they do, and you might be interested. Ask them questions. You know, is it okay if I ask or talk to your dad? I'm I'm thinking of maybe going into business or maybe focusing on consulting. I, I would just have a few questions and ask them, or try to get an internship, and that's going to give you a good glimpse whether you enjoy it or not in a short amount of time, and you'll know like, oh, absolutely hate it, or actually this sounds really interesting and fun. Like these are I'm going to keep exploring these opportunities. I love that. And I, th I think that's exactly what I tell people as well. I think at a young age, you have the luxury of time as well as your age where it's people are much more inclined to allow a 15, 16, 17 year old <laughs> to come and shadow them than they are for a 35 year old to say, hey, do you mind if I follow you around for a week? <laughs> and I think I think you should lean on that 100 percent. And the, what I think some people 
the trap they fall into is they seem to think that one day their passion will just emerge and they'll figure out, oh my God, I was put on planet Earth to become a forensic analyst. You know, like it, it just doesn't work like that, does it? No, it does not. And my, my philosophy is you don't find your passion. You don't find yourself. You build yourself. And how mm. do you build yourself? By exposing yourself to as many things as possible. Mm-hmm. So, and what I find interesting is even like um, famous people like Vera Wang actually didn't become a fashion designer until much later in her life. Yeah. But because again, you have the exploring factor. I never thought I was going to be a career coach or corporate trainer. It wasn't even in my purview, but I knew I liked business. I like sales. I like revenue. I like helping people. I like myself promoted. Like, how can I get to the next step? I like earning more. So I just lean towards it. And I've learned so many skill sets that eventually it turned into, you know, ended up being a business, but I just kept exposing myself. Like I even took like a marketing for data analytics and AI course, never been in marketing, wasn't doing any marketing, but that interests me. So I took the class, I paid for it and I took the certification class. And now I can help my clients who are in marketing, data analytics and artificial intelligence. I have a good insight because I took that certification course and I can better understand them. But again, I keep exposing myself and I never stop learning. And that's what's been sharpening my skill set. And I can outbeat the competition every single time because I've learned so much and I can build a case whether I have the expertise or I don't have the expertise. It doesn't matter. I know what to do in order to get any job. That's perfect. How long have you been a career coach then? How long have you had the business? Seven years now. I can't believe it. Yeah. Time flies by. (laughs) Time flies. Do you you miss the hustle and bustle of the three, uh, three year hopping around careers? I do. So honestly, so growing up, I've always performed. So I always like competed and danced. Like I did salsa, Latin dancing. Mm-hmm. So to me, like what I interviewed, it's always like that exhilaration. It's nervousness, but I classified it as exhilaration. Like right before you perform in a big crowd, you always get that nervous butterflies. So mm-hmm. I actually used to interview a lot um, because I wanted to know like what's out there. Like I already had a job, maybe just got a job. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm still interviewing. Like I find it exhilarating. Like the more I do it, the better I get. And I kept just applying to jobs <laughs> interviewing for fun, yeah. which sounds kind of lame right now. But um, that's something I kept doing over and over again. And that's kind of what I miss or just starting a new job and then just saying, who do I need to connect with in order to make sure that I'm going to get this job? Like I'm going to become the best person at this job in three to six months and I need to find some quick wins. So mm-hmm. let me reach out to another person who's already been doing this, a similar job to this one, and then let me apply it and then execute. So now I do the same thing kind of in business. So I, now I do the same thing with other business professionals. That's how I was able to, you know, um, be able to start a six-figure business. I've been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, MSNBC, and you know, I've even been on TV, on WGN. Wow. So now there's other things I want to achieve. And that's what I'm excited about and exhilaration. But again, it comes to that. I love learning. I love, I'm always scared. Um, I feel like even when I started my podcast, I was scared to death, but I still did it because um, I enjoy talking to people, helping people, giving career advice. Mm-hmm. So- always exposing myself to that has always been was propelled my success. And it's led by, again, always getting to learning and I'm building myself at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess then there's only one thing left that maybe the listeners will want to know. Say there is a young budding career coach. How, what kind of advice would you give to them? Someone who someone who identifies with your personality traits, someone who feels like they can be supporting other people in excelling in their own personal careers. I mean, whether that be any kind of coach, because there's obviously life coaches, personal trainer coaches, there's also, there's all sorts of coaches. And I feel like a lot of the similar skill sets are used. How can someone, how can someone start a business like that and actually get the ball rolling essentially? So how I started is, um, you know, I, ended up being very transparent with my friends saying, oh, you know, I'm always excited or learning about my friends' careers. Like, how's that going? Oh, I know you're up for a promotion. How did that go? And asking, and I just helped my friends. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. Helped my friends. And actually my sister was, um, her third year at university, had an internship and they offered her a full-time job. 
I coached her on, you know, how to ask for more. And her peers at the time was making like 45 to 50,000, if that. She got offered 65 and I coached her and they said, okay, we'll pay you 75,000 once you graduate from the university in like two, three months. So mm-hmm. she was making $30,000 more than all her friends. But I started with her. So she gave me a testimonial and I was able to test out my strategies. I helped another friend test out the same strategy in a different industry. And I did that. I just helped. I didn't charge him at the time. It was just more understanding, like, how can I get people to take action? What is stopping them from taking action? Let me see if I can help them. And then getting that testimonial. And then eventually, I got confident in helping people. Then eventually started charging. But I first wanted to understand, can I help people? Does this strategy work across different industries and across different levels of experience? And then once I saw the results, that's when I said, okay, so it sounds like these are the primary things that people struggle with the most. This has been the best analogy that people can relate to. And here are some of the strategies that I've built up based on my previous, you know, people that I've helped. And then now I have a framework and then now I have an idea and then, you know, doing your research and figuring out what the pricing is. But if you're scared or you're like, I want to try this out, then just help people, help people and understand them their pain points, what's, what do they struggle with the most? And then from then on, then you start building a business around it. Mm. Well, it's quite interesting that you say start off closer to home. And I think a lot of the times people probably forget to utilize the network that they've already got in place. And they, they rather think, okay, well, Hey, should I quickly start reaching out to people? Should I be putting out ads on the internet saying, would you like career coaching and things like that? And I think it's, I I think it's very important to start start with people who already trust you and know you. Yes. And I started with like writing my friends' resumes. And then, I mean, at one point I was charging like $125 for a resume. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I ended up growing, like I was charging a thousand for executive resumes, but I started from somewhere. I, I wasn't confident enough, you know, seven years ago to say, yeah, I'll charge a thousand dollars for an executive resume. Cause I don't know if that would work. I didn't know what were their pain points. Like I, they probably wouldn't even have paid me that much because I just wasn't in that stage. So I started what I felt comfortable with and eventually expanded. And now, you know, I've had executive clients where I write their resumes and they're able to either land their first executive role or transition to another industry as an executive. Mm-hmm. But usually what most people tend to struggle with is you know, who am I to charge that much? Like, why are they going to hire from me? I'm not good enough yet. I need more experience. I need more, more expertise. I need another certification and all these other things. It's, you're going to learn more from actually doing it. And if it scares you to charge, then start helping out friends for free and eventually start building that so that way you can start building a successful business than having no business at all. Claudia, you have been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much. Can you tell us where people can find you? You said you had a podcast. Do you want to plug that? Yeah. So my podcast is called Roadmap to the Executive Suite. So it's aimed for ambitious career-driven women. And I bring in executive recruiters. I bring in CEOs. I bring hiring managers. And I provide career coaching advice. So that way, whether you're just starting out in your career or you're looking to you know, break into your first manager director role or your first executive role, um, the podcast is aimed to help you move along that's along, you know, with your career progression. And they can also find me on my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. Once again, it's ClaudiaTMiller.com. Um, and that's where they can find on how to connect with me. Perfect. Um, people, as always, you'll find it all in the show notes. I'll link the website and the podcast. Um, Claudia, you have been absolutely wonderful. I think you've given us some invaluable information today and hopefully the listeners can use some of that and maybe even start listening to your podcast and develop this develop develop their own careers and hopefully get that six-figure suite right executive suite exactly and they can check out um your job board in order to find you know what companies are hiring for those roles that they're looking to apply for you started the plug before i even before i even thought about it (laughs) A hundred percent they can. The jobs are refreshed on a daily basis. Um, we do, of course, help with interviews interviews and um, CVs as well. I'm probably not as good as, as Claudia over here, but there is templates and, and other sorts of information that you can 100% utilize. Um, I think 
the most valuable thing is getting yourself onto that mailing list so that you can get the brand new jobs as they come out. There was there was there was a few PwC roles the other day. Um, I think I think Mark sent out sent out an email blast, and then they were gone in twenty four hours. So <laughs> it's it's literally once these jobs come in, if you if you unless you're looking every single day, get yourself on that mailing list, and you will have the roles direct to your inbox. Make sure you follow the podcast platform as well. And you know what? Give us a five-star review on, on Apple Music, Apple Apple Podcasts. Apple Music, I forgot. <laughs> they don't separate it out, do they? Um, but yeah, give us that five-star review. It really does help. And thank you very much for listening. Claudia, thank you. Thanks for having me, Sim. Take care, guys. Catch you next week. You've been locked in to find your hustle with Mark McCourty and Cinder here. Catch you next week.